read a story this past week. Uh, this mom was writing about her kid, and she had a, a young boy that was in kindergarten. And she wrote that in their kid's class at church, it would be equivalent to our kid's life, they were learning about who God is and how they can trust God and, and how they can depend on God. And so one of the things the teacher was telling them is we can trust and depend on God because he created us. Right? He created us. He did all of these things. He, he created the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, and then God created man. And God knew that this man, Adam, needed a helpmate. And so God made from the man, he, he put him to sleep, he, he made from a man a woman, or made from man a woman named Eve. And the little boy asked his teacher, he said, how did God do that? And so she was explaining, caused him to fall asleep, and, and took a rib from Adam and formed this woman. And later that day, the boy was at home, and he was getting ready to go to bed, but he was super tired because he had been wrestling with his, with his siblings and had kind of a pain right here on his side. And the mom thought it was from wrestling his brother earlier, and she said, you're okay, it's from wrestling, you're going to be okay, you're just tired. And he said, mom, haven't you read your Bible? She said, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm tired, I'm about to fall asleep, and my rib hurts, I think I'm about to have a wife. (laughs) That absolutely has nothing to do with the sermon today, but that is funny, except the fact that, that we can trust God, amen? Man, God made us, we can trust in him. Last week, we began by talking about being dependent on God. Ben, that's not how it really works, man. just want you to know. By the way, man, thanks for being here today. I'm just going to embarrass you here for a second. Man, these two got married just this week, right? This past week or the week before? So way to go, man. So congrats. Thanks for being here with us today. But you found out, you know, she didn't come from your... You got... Okay, just want to make sure we're good. All right. We talked about last week being dependent on God and as followers of Jesus church the Bible tells us in John chapter 15 if we know Christ that apart from him we can do nothing we can do nothing and so it's good to continually walk and live with our eyes on the Lord amen to live with our eyes on Jesus and live knowing that we need him we need him David writes in Psalm 16 I just love the heart of David he says preserve me O God for I take refuge in you I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good beside you. What David is saying in this psalm to God here is this, my whole life is entirely dependent on you. The world offers many things, but David is saying, I am nothing without you. And anything that I have, and he had a lot, amen, as the king, man, he had a lot. Anything that I have has no comparison to you, God. David has a life of dependency on his creator, And I believe these words from David in this psalm and other psalms comes from his relationship with God. He knew God. He walked with God. He he knew that he was loved by God. He had experienced that, church. Church, you and I as people, we were made to be in a relationship with God. We were made to be known by God. We were made to walk with God. And we were made to be loved by God. To be in a relationship with the one that created us, we were never meant to do life alone. We're never meant to do life alone. We've got each other, but most importantly, we've got him. Amen, church? So we were never meant to do life alone and just kind of occasionally check in on God, right? Hey, God, you doing okay up there, right? Right, check in with him. We were made to be in a real relationship with him. 
Last week we began to walk through Psalm 139 verse by verse and see who God is and also what that relationship with him looks like because we get to be the benefit of who God is, right? We get to be a benefit of, of who he is. We often picture us down here, even us as Christians have been doing this a long time, right? I got saved in, on March 2nd, 1988 at 7.15 p.m., right? I've been saved for a little bit. We all do this, right, where we kind of have this idea of, of, of God being up there and us down here doing our own thing. And a lot of times we're just kind of hoping that God's there to hear us when we need him, right, or that he's going to check in on us. But here's the reality we saw in the first six verses out of Psalm 139. And we're going to recap just a little bit in case you weren't here last week. And just because it's so good. The creator and the sustainer, the all-knowing God, knows us personally. He searches us, the Bible says. He knows us. He knows our ups and our downs, our actions. He knows when we're resting. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. God goes into the most hidden part of you that you put do not enter, right? And you put up these yellow tags and stuff. Don't come in here, but God's in there and he's acquainted with all of your ways. He knows you. And when we hear that, it can be a little scary. Like, man, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know that I want God knowing all of me like that, right? I don't even want to know me like that. And one of our greatest fears as people is to be known and not loved, Sociologists say that all over the place, whether religious or not, say one of the greatest fears is to be known and not loved. But we're reminded about God that while knowing all of us, the Bible says that God so loved us. Let's try that again. He knows you and he so loves you. Amen, church? Right? He sees it all and he still loves us and pursues us. And so last week we saw David write about God knowing us personally. And this week, back in Psalm 139, we're going to look at verses 7 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, grab that Psalm right in the middle. It'll be up on the screen as well because we want to make sure that we're looking at the Word of God. But Psalm chapter 139, 7 through 18. And we're going to see that God knows us. That was from last week and that he's with us. He's omniscient, which means he has perfect knowledge of all things. He's all-knowing. And the Bible tells us that God is omnipresent. God is always fully present. Now let's address, make sure that we understand that there's a false teaching that sometimes goes along with this called pantheism. Pantheism is the belief there that, that, that God and his creation become one. That God is merely an impersonal force or just the forces of law of nature. Here's the truth, church, about God. God is over all creation. God does not become the trees. He does not become the flowers. He does not become the sky and the rocks. God is not some impersonal force out there that's one with nature. He is God over that nature and he is God over you and I. He's a sovereign God, but he's also a personal God, not an impersonal force. So he's omnipresent. He is He's fully present. And we're going to see that in Psalm 139. Would you guys stand with me as we read God's word together? Psalm 139, just to honor God and his word. Verses 7 through 18. David writes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, Where, he's talking to God, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. David says, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be my night. 
Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as day to you. Darkness and light are alike to you. Verse 13, for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have, have, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Let's pray together, church. Father, thanks for being a God that knows us and loves us and is with us. And God, as we're here today, you know each one of us individually. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you would have that time with them and they would be receptive to what you are teaching them today. God, if there's someone here today that says, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, I'm not saved, I've rejected God, whatever that may be, God, we pray, God, that you would draw them near to you, God, and they would respond, and they would be obedient to you and respond to salvation. God, we pray for us. Sometimes we say, God, be with us. You are with us, God. Are we with you? Are we observant and are we aware of what you're doing around us, God? We pray, God, that you would speak to us today. You know what's going on in every single one of our lives, God, and we pray, God, that we would be submissive to you and understand that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You guys are extra quiet today. After that worship, man, y'all, wake up, right? Let's just do it, man. David uses the first six verses talking about knowing God to really praise God and worship God that he knows him personally and that he loves him. And then in verse 7, he begins to write about God being with him, the relationship aspect of being there and being present. I grew up in a family and around friends and neighbors that enjoyed being around one another, right? It was important for our family to not just be related and share blood and share the same name, but to be with each other. Right? So we took every opportunity, holidays, graduations, anniversaries, birthdays, sometimes for the fun of it, we would just gather to be with each other. And it wasn't just family as a kid, man, I just, I loved my neighbors, right? Anybody grow up and your, your house was the place to go to? Anybody like that? All right. No, nobody liked you. Okay. All right. So, man, my house, maybe they didn't like me either, but my house was the place to go, man. Everybody would come to, we would play ball together, we would hang out, play games, we would sit and talk, tear up the ping pong table. Anybody with me on ping pong? One of you. All right. We enjoyed it. I remember I'd get grounded about once a week, and uh, my, that was true, all right, and my, my room oversaw the, the driveway, and they would just, they'd come over, even if I was grounded, man, I would just kind of look over and just talk to them, and, and we just loved being around each other, man. It was just, it was good. But here's the reality. Studies now show that that's just not the norm anymore. That's a sad reality. There was a study done in 2017 that stated that only 23% of people have a friendship or a relationship that those, the, with those that live right next door to them. Man, that's super sad, man. We live closer and closer, and we know people less and less. Studies also show this, that many people are having a hard time connecting with other people in person. Why? Because they've mainly pursued and invested in virtual or online relationships. Church, God created us to be in relationships, to be with people, to be with each other, to be with the church, and especially to be with him. And that is part of God's design. God wants us to know that he is here. Sometimes we'll say God's a phone call away or he's an email away. Church, that's just not true. He's present, right? And we're going to see David write this about that, just how close he is. Because here's the reality. 
being with us is who God is. It's what he desires. From the beginning, we know that God created Adam and Eve to be in relationship with him, to walk with them, right? We look in other places in Scripture, and God highlights, the Word of God highlights things in Scripture. We see men like Enoch and Noah. That's what we're going to name our next two kids, Enoch, right? And it says that they walked with God. That'll be six kids, man. We're going to do it. They walked with God. Hey, you all are getting distracted. Stay focused here. They walked with God. David was a man after God's own heart. Man, are you with me, church? It's important to be in a relationship. And then we see Jesus, John chapter 1, we see in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And guess what? The Word was God. That's talking about Jesus, church. And we see it in verse 14. And the Word is Jesus, and Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He didn't just kind of hang out up here. He dwelt with us. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, church, help me, which means God with us, which tells us that Jesus is, in fact, God. He's not a created God. He's not one that was born and worked his way to Godhood. He is God. He always has been, and he always will be. And he's also God with us. That's who he is. Matthew 28, 20. To those that know Jesus, if you could say, Jesus has saved me. I'm a child of God. Jesus says, I am with you even or always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Man, that's a good word, man. We live in a world where it's just so easy just to flee. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do we see that, church? God is always present, and not only is he only present, but he pursues you, and he desires to restore that relationship with us. Because here's the reality. When sin happens, anybody in here not sin? You better, don't keep your hand down, right? If you've not, right, if, you, if you've sinned, man, there's that separation between us and God, and Jesus came so that, so that he could restore that relationship with us. Not only just to be in a, in a relationship so we can be Facebook friends with him or followers on Twitter, right? But so that we can be sons and daughters of God. And David is going to tell us just how personal God is and how present he is. And church, I'm just going to tell you, man, I've got a feeling some of us here today, maybe some listening online or the podcast, maybe all of us really need to hear and know this. Maybe it's just for the first time you've never heard about God this way. I needed to hear it this week. God is present. He's here. He knows you and he's here. Verse 7. David writes to God, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? David is a man described as being a man after God's own heart, right? We know the good about David. He's got that, that man, we want to be like David, right? He's, he's, he's after God's own heart. But guess what? He's also a man like us that has a lot of sin and brokenness in his life. In fact, too much of it is on display or the right amount is on display in the word of God, right? I mean, we're talking lust. We're talking adultery. We're talking murder. We're talking some bad stuff. He's a man. He has sin and dark places in his life where even he thought, man, no one else was there. No one else knew. But he realized that God knew and God was there. And that could cause someone to freak out. But David, he's not freaking out. He's rejoicing over this because God continues to show that although he's all-knowing and all-present, he still loves David. Think about that, church. Think about what you've done. Think about, don't think about what I've done. Well, I think about what I've done, right? And God still loves me. He's still here. He knows the good. God was there during your good. God knows the bad. He was there during the bad, but he never left you. He never stopped searching you, and he still loves you, church. Anybody need that today? 
David is writing, is there any place I can go where you're not there? Jeremiah 22 addresses this, this presence of God too. God is really saying, am I a God who's near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in, in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? God is reminding us, we cannot escape his presence. And I don't believe David is wanting to flee from God or hide from him at this point. I believe that David is finding great comfort and encouragement from God's presence. So let's walk through these next few verses as David describes how present God is. Verse 8, as he says, if I ascend to heaven, God, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. There's a contrast here. David says, is there anywhere I can go? So he starts going high and low, right? If I ascend into heaven. And some of your commentators will say, man, this is, this is speaking of heaven as in the visible sky or the universe, right? Some believe this only speaks of heaven as in the eternal home where we're going to go if we know Jesus. Are you with me? Where Jesus is at, right? It, I think it's both. I think it's all of it because his point isn't to, to necessarily pinpoint a single location, but instead to say, God, this is the vastness as to where you are. So if we go, boldly go where no man has gone before, guess what, Star Trek? God's there. Amen? If we die and if we're spending eternity with Jesus in heaven, God is there. So heaven, that's easy to, to think about. But then if I make my bed in Sheol, this is that contrast. Sheol is a word used here that means anything from the grave to death to a pit to hell or the depths of the earth. The point is, it doesn't matter where we are, high or low, at our best or at our worst. Guess what? God is there. He continues to use geography and, and, and nature to talk about this. Well, like this here in Tucson, verse 9 through 10, David says, God, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He used interesting words here talks about the rays of the, the dawn. We, we get this. You look at our flag, right? This is speaking of the rays of the swift morning sun. All right? I love how this was described. Author William McDonald says this, talking about the, 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 the dawn, the, the wings of the dawn. The, they are the rays of the morning sun that streak across the heavens from the east to the west at 186,000 miles per second. Even if we could travel to some remote corner of the universe at the speed of light, we would find the Lord there waiting to guide and uphold us. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, or if I go to the remotest part of the sea, no matter how far, how fast, how deep we go, we remain in the presence of the Lord. That's a good word, church. Verses 11 through 12, Jesus or David talks about light and darkness. Church, I think we can relate to this more than we want to, right? If we, if we don't want someone seeing us or finding us, we hide in the dark or we do things in the dark, behind closed doors in, in the dark at night. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. God, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. David is really wanting us to get the idea that we cannot escape the presence of God, Right? And we should rejoice over that. Not even darkness can keep us from God. God is still there and he sees everything clear as if it were day. Right? There are times in our life that's, we're talking about just places of darkness or maybe times of darkness or when we go behind closed doors doing things we shouldn't be doing. Right? But what if we say, hey man, I'm in a dark place. Man, I'm struggling right now. Man, my life is in a, I'm, I'm, it's just dark right now. 
going through a dark time. Maybe you feel all alone. God is there. Darkness keeps nothing from him. Church, there is no mask that you can wear. There's no disguise that you can wear. There's no hiding place that keeps God from seeing you for who you are and knowing you. And why do we find comfort in this? David says, your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. We find comfort because he knows us, he's with us. And those, that phrase right there, he leads us and he protects us. So this truth comforts, but let's be honest. That's a little convicting. God is present in all the places we go. He knows all the thoughts we have. He sees it all. And he's present. And as a Christian, I think that helps us. You know, if you think about accountability, if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about doing something I shouldn't be doing and I got Charles sitting next to me, I'm probably not going to do things I shouldn't be doing because Charles will thump me spiritually, right? Spiritually, you don't get to hit me, Charles. Where am I at? All right. As we wake up each day, it might make us think about what steps we take knowing we're walking with God. It's both comforting and convicting. And now David is going to take this awesomeness of God to another level. He's talked about God being all-knowing and all-present. And now along with those, we're going to see the power of God at work. Verse 13, we're going to see our relationship is, is more than just a God that searches us and knows us. Because we could still kind of say, man, that's a little impersonal, right? You're just doing the God thing. You know us. You're, you're, you're just there with us, right? But he's more than a God that's just near and present. Our God created us. Man, we're going to, this is going to be good. David says, and we can say, for you, formed my inward parts you wove me in my mother's womb i will give thanks to you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well he's worshiping god i love this passage for many reasons but god wants us to understand something he knows you he's with you but church when he created you and took that time the value he places on you is unmatchable Wherever you are today, whatever you're walking through, hear that this morning. The value that he places on you is unmatchable. A few weeks ago, I opened up a message uh, to someone checking in on me because the day before, news came out about a pastor that took his own life. And this person just wanted to check in on me and, and a few other pastors and just let us know that he loved us and that he was praying for us and that we were valuable. That pastor spent his life pouring into people, helping people, encouraging people, but along the way, he wrestled with his own value. Depression, loneliness, anxiety, fear. And that's a pastor, a grown man. And then I read on Thursday, a 10-year-old girl took her life. They're still investigating why, but the last I checked, it wasn't like a particular reason they had nailed down yet, but the belief was they were invest investigating that she, she, was, she was bullied, she was mistreated, she was devalued. The reality is we live in a world where depression and anxiety are on the rise. People feel lonely, unappreciated, and unvalued. Church, Satan's lies sink in that we aren't worth anything. And we wrestle with value in other people. We wrestle with racism and cultural superiority and other mentalities that, that one person or group of people has less value or more value than another. But God has a different truth he wants us to hear this morning. By the way, I ain't got time for that junk, church. 
right? I don't care what anybody smells like, looks like, feels like. Are you with me, church? Man, God values them. He values you. David says in verse 13, for you. Listen to this. It was you, God. You did it, right? You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, right? This is good stuff. You look in Genesis chapter 1. We read of God creating all things. There's the heavens, the moons, the stars, the, the light, the water, the animals. And it was like, let there be, let there be. And there was. He does something different with people. We talked about this last week. He says, let us, by the way, let us is God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. They were all involved in creation. Let us make man in our own image, right? According to our likeness and let them rule. Talking about rule over creation. God spoke into creation, everything else. But with man, the Bible says the Lord forms man. We see in the Bible in, in Genesis that he breathed his own breath into, in, into, into the nostrils and gave life. And man became a living being. Then the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed to walk with and do life with and take care of. That's the personal touch and the relationship God has. And then we come to Psalm 139. Yeah, but that was just creation. But what about this? We see that God was at work on you and me personally knitting us together. Church, from the time you were thought of, God already knew you. God was involved. He knew you and loved you. As a church, we want to value life. We have a, a statement of faith here at our church regarding life. We believe that all human life is sacred and valuable to God, and it must be to us. Here's what it says. From fertilization throughout the entire natural human life, that human beings are created in His image, and such are to be protected. That the weak, vulnerable, infirm, handicapped, preborn, and needy deserve our respect and our care because God, the one that knows us and the one that is with us and the one that made us, church, he doesn't suggest it. He demands it. Amen? I mean, we have no business doing anything outside of that. And that's a reminder for us. In our heated culture today, God is not just the God of those that are walking and talking. He's those that are about on their deathbed and he is the God of the unborn. He's engaged and involved from the very beginning of your life. And I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to take this step. Are you ready? Unapologetically, the talk about abortion and, and valuing the unborn life should never be a political argument, church. It's a God argument. It's a gospel argument. It's a biblical argument. It's a value of life argument. God has spoken and we are to value and protect the unborn church. But let's take that next step. We're also to value and protect and come alongside and pray for those that are facing those tough decisions. Those that are scared, those that feel they have no other choice. We pray and we come alongside that mom or the dad and the unborn. Are you with me, church? No, we don't get to pick and choose on that one, man. We, we love all of them. Any thought or action that is in us that devalues another human life regardless if they've been born or they're about to die, regardless of what they look like, smell like, where they're from, from the womb to the tomb, anything that devalues life is nothing less than sin. And it's a slap in the face of God. And this passage here is important, not just in the case of racism or the unborn or those that are near the end of their life, it's for you and me to hear. And for us to know how much God values you 
and loves you. He knit us together in the womb. I remember my grandma sitting there knitting and just the work it took. Who's got time to knit? Man. If you knit in here, I apologize. Lacey, sorry. You're not doing it now, are you? All right. But God had time to knit you. God, the creator of all things, took the time to form you and knit you together. He's like that ultimate engineer or architect. Amen, church? Man, this is good stuff. He creates your brain and its capacity. Just think about your brain, man. Its capacity to remember, to know sounds, sights, touches, to communicate, to make decisions. He wove together our muscles, our ligaments, our nerves, our blood vessels, and bones to make you who you are. Right? All the members of our body were formed and they work in harmony together. Right? I praise God for that today. Many of you guys prayed for my dad. Part, another part of my body, or my dad's body, told my, my dad's body, you're going to die, go to the hospital. Right? My dad had blood clots, and, and, and it was just certain pains. Your body works together. Right? God put that together. My dad went home the other day, by the way. Praise God. And David, he's rejoicing over this. He's a man that made some big mistakes. He's made good decisions. He's a man that, has, that, that people have tried to kill. He's had it all. He had nothing. He gets it. He can identify with any man. Or woman, well, mostly. And he's rejoicing through all of that. The creator knows and values him and created him. He says in verse 14, I will give thanks to you. He doesn't say, woe me, God, why did you make me this way? He says, I'll give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. How about we open up our day with that? God, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. David looks at his life, the fact that God knows him intimately, that God is with him at all times and in all places, and knowing that God made him, he took the time to create him. God causes David to rejoice and worship him. The word fearfully, he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully doesn't mean we're afraid in, in a sense. It means, fearfully means to be in awe or to have reverence. Wonderfully means that this creation was set apart from other creations. Man was God's greatest, greatest creation. And David is in awe and marvels at this work. Wonderful are your works, God. My soul knows it very well. How can anyone ever deny that this design needs a creator? I have to say, church, this morning, we live in a world that does not value life. Life that God created, designed, made in his image. Lives that, that Jesus died for. Think about that next time we have an ill thought towards someone that's different than us. Jesus died for them. God took the time and made man and woman the best of his creation. Church, we didn't evolve from any other species. Let's just lay this out there. We didn't evolve from any other species. We were formed and woven together by the almighty God to be who you are. We've got to be for life from the womb to the tomb. To be champions for life is to stand firm against destroying or ignoring a life that is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I believe with all my heart that God values all life. Amen, church? Man, thinking about what people allow to happen to innocent babies should break our hearts. Thinking about how poor and needy or people that are different from us are treated different at times than us. Man, that should break our hearts. And think about what happened during World War II, prior to World War II. 
Slowly but surely, the leadership helped them to value life. Think about what we're capable of. When we look at each person, we must see someone that was created, known, and loved by our Creator just like you and me, and we must love them. They are valued. They are people. God died for them. And I need you to hear this this morning. You matter to God. Personally. Not from afar. Personally. He knows you. He's involved in your life personally. You aren't a number. You aren't a piece of the puzzle. Your life matters to the one that made it all. He knows you as an individual and he places a very high price tag on your life. Others may say things that that aren't true about you. You may believe things that aren't true about you, but God is saying, I know you. I know all of it. I know the good and the bad and I still love you. I value and I'm present with you. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in, in, in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth speaks of the mother's womb our frame is our bones we were not hidden right while being created he was with us from the beginning verse 16 your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me yet as when as yet there was not one of them that's not proper english man when as yet there was not one of them if you didn't believe me before that god knew us in the womb how about now right god god's eyes saw david he saw me he saw you before you were formed before you were even a little blob thing, right? He saw you, knew you, and loved you. And guess what? God knows and records all of your days before you had your first day. All-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. You were on his mind before you had a mind. And here's the thing. If you don't like what you, man, if you don't like what you see in the mirror, stop taking your cues from the world. Rather, take your cues from the Heavenly Father. He made you for Himself. There is no one in history like you. He gave you a personality. He gave you abilities. He gave you spiritual gifts. He gave you a particular purpose that sets you apart for Him. You're His treasured creation made in His likeness. God made you. He knows you. He wants you and He loves you. And that'll preach. Here's the reality. If you're sitting here today and you have not given your life to Jesus, He came to save you from hell. To save you from your sins. To give you eternal life. He gave His life in place of yours. Why? Because the relationship matters. He knows where you are. He knows if you're sitting right here and whether you know Jesus or not. He knows if your booty's been saved. Are you with me, church? Man, he knows. And he says, I came to die in your place. Turn to me. Follow me. Verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. I almost wanted to have a kid come up here while I was doing the sermon and just count a bunch of sand to see where he got to by the time we were done. That wasn't nice. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon says this about this. He says, even if we could count the sand on the seashores, we could not count the thoughts of God concerning us. Oh, how important this makes us poor creatures when we remember that God thinks of us. He goes on to say, if he only thought of us every now and then, what would we do in the meantime? But he thinks of us constantly. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 49 that God engraves his people's names on the palm of their hands to show how continually we are before him. 
He looks at you, knows you, he's with you, he places a high value on you. From before you were born, God valued you. And he wants to be with you. The value that God has placed on you, church, is unfathomable. That doesn't get much more personal than that. He gave you his breath. He gave you existence, he gives you your everyday life, and he wants to give you eternal life. And he came to die for you so that we could spend eternity with him. How does one reject a love like that? He wants a real relationship. He doesn't want a Sunday relationship. He doesn't want a K-love relationship. He doesn't want you putting it on Facebook that your religion is Christianity. He wants to walk with you and be with you and talk with you. We have this nasty thing called sin. A life where we do things without him or against him. And that sin causes a gap between us and God. A gap that Jesus came to fill. So that we could have that ultimate, intimate relationship with God that he intended. Eternally. What a mighty, powerful, and great God we serve.